Hello, all you Fran Not Fines. My name is Sienna, and welcome to Somewhat Panicking, a podcast that explores the pressure of having to achieve various goals before a certain age or time frame. This week, I'm somewhat panicking about having the perfect career, and not just the perfect career in which I excel to the top and people turn to me for my incredible expertise in whatever field, but I'm also panicking about having an additional side hustle that proves lucrative and shows off my flair and passion in life. And I have neither. I have a job, yes, but is it my passion? No. Does it make me as much money as I'd like? Definitely not. But does it provide enough to live the realistic lifestyle I can afford? It does. So is this enough? Not only is one successful career a societal expectation, but the prevalence of having a side hustle means even more work and therefore success. Hobbies are no longer hobbies when they can be lucrative businesses, and it's suddenly okay if your main job isn't your passion because your side hustle makes up for that. And I think, well, fuck. I used to only worry about one job and what that meant in my life, but now my peers are galloping ahead of me with projects they've turned into a second income, and I can't keep up. The truth is, maybe I don't even want to. Is working 16 hours a day something I should strive towards? Because honestly, that sounds pretty shit. I'm more of a lay on the beach and have a nap in the afternoon kind of person. The age-old saying of do what you love, love what you do, pushes people to really think about their career choices and come up with something they can do for an average of 40 to 50 years before retirement. It's a lot to ask for so many decades, and the pressure to be passionate about something for so long can really affect a person's state of mind. Not everyone can do what they love because one, you may not even know what you love, or you do know what you love, but it doesn't provide a suitable source of income. Two, it isn't within your reach financially as further studies can be very expensive or isn't an achievable goal due to other personal circumstances. And three, the need to provide food and shelter for yourself or others can be quite the burden that restricts you from pursuing other pathways. Why do we find ourselves and others talking about work so often? I guess it has a lot to do with the fact it takes up most of our time. Traditionally, Monday to Friday, nine to five, work is everyone's focus everyone's way of earning money, and has emotive responses everyone can relate to. Ever felt underappreciated at work? Ever felt like you were proud you accomplished a task before a certain deadline? Ever called in sick when you weren't really sick because you really needed a day off? We've all done it. And for some reason, this conversation of what job title someone wants to hold starts at a very young age. I was asked countless times as a child what I wanted to be when I was older. A doctor, a teacher, an actor, the list went on, and truthfully, I always chose obvious titles because as a child I understood what they were, and they always seemed to be acceptable responses and impressed the adults around me. By 16 or 17, I was meant to have chosen subjects in high school that would correlate to my future career, and I was supposed to be passionate about my choice, passionate enough to want to accumulate a debt of tens of thousands of dollars in further studies. At this stage of being a teenager, I couldn't vote, and I couldn't have a full driver's license, but I could choose what substantial debt I would have for the many years to come. And this is the norm. It is highly praised to go on to further studies, and was expected of me by my peers, my teachers, my parents, and even by me, if I wanted a quote-unquote good job. 
An article written in the New York Times in 2019 by Adam Grant titled Stop Asking Kids What They Want to Be When They Grow Up highlights how we define ourselves by our jobs and our worth by our achievements. The article discusses that thinking you should have one calling in life may in fact be problematic. As the author writes, In college, I finally realized that I didn't want to be one thing. I wanted to do many things. When you ask what you want to be when you grow up, it's not socially acceptable to say a father or a mother, let alone a person of integrity. The commitment to knowing what you want to do for the rest of your life can be extreme and unrealistic. According to an article written on the Australian ABC website, the average age Australians actively change their careers is in their 40s, followed by their 30s, then 50s. I personally take real comfort in the fact that on average, people tend to change their career at a later stage in life when seemingly you're supposed to have it all figured out and be well experienced in whatever job you have. So with all this in mind, what happens when you're no longer passionate about your job or never were? What happens when someone asks what you do for a living and it's a dreaded conversation? And what do you do when you are considering a different career? I'd like to introduce Danny, a former teacher, now content developer, who seemed to be on a very traditional career trajectory before her mindset changed. I left uni at around uh, when I was probably 23 started teaching when I was sort of 24 so the following year yeah and then when did you end up leaving teaching how old were you I left when I was 28 and did you think when you were younger when you would be going into your 30s did you think I'm still going to be a teacher I'm going to be an amazing teacher that's going to be my career when I'm in my 30s my 40s my 50s until the day I retire I think initially, possibly, because I didn't have any notion of what 30s was. You know, like, I thought that was so far away. But thinking about it now, it's like, why did I ever think that I'd be doing this for my entire life? Like, it seems like so long. So kind of glad I don't think like that anymore, that I'm a bit more flexible in thinking about my career and the possibilities of where I could go. So it was never like when you were a young child, I want to be a teacher when I grow up. No, I think I had so many dreams. Yeah. You know, there was an astronaut in there as Why well. Why is that always like a standard one? <laughs> I I guess space must intrigue us. You yeah. know, the stars and yeah. what's around us yeah. might feed into what we want to be. And it always is like an amazing adventure. I guess we kind of connect with that adventurous side. Mm. And, and then, then we're like, but actually what we want is to work in an office with <laughs> no window. Yeah. And get money, be stable. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. As you get older, you kind of become, I guess, more narrow or more realistic, I mm-hmm. guess, with um, what you think you can and what you can't do. How did it even come about that you wanted to be a teacher? What was it about teaching that you wanted to do? I think there was also a bit of pressure because I did really like to write. I think that was something I really enjoyed and I thought one day I could make a, a career out of it. But the one thing that may have put a pause on that was if I was gonna go to university that I would need to study something that would get me a job. I think I had that thought. I remember thinking year 11 and especially in year 12 that if I what course I, courses I was going to pick needed to have an end goal of a job because I could sense that my parents would ask, oh, why are you doing a Bachelor of Arts? 
Like right. what, what will that lead to? Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, they, neither of them had been to university, but we have people in our family that have been. And my cousin is a teacher. Her husband was a teacher as well. It feels like that was kind of what I was surrounded by. Everybody knows what a teacher is. That's very easy to explain to people. Were there ever any points in conversations where a situation where people were kind of impressed by that or they instantly wanted to know more or they thought they knew all about it because they know what a teacher is? What was that experience like for you? So for me, it was a very easy conversation starter and it was something, it almost, when I said I was a teacher, it's one of the few jobs I guess that it's part of your identity so you make it part of who you are so I'm a teacher so that means I am very passionate about what I do I'm fun I'm like it it became who I am and a lot of the conversations I would have with people would be them being impressed by what I do and wanting to know more and I was happy to talk about that absolutely but it's almost like that is who I was and am like I am a teacher and that is all I would pretty much say in terms of anything else I wouldn't really talk about much else yeah I totally get that in where your job becomes your identity and just having conversations you know you're out at the pub or whatever Mm -hmm. and I mean within five minutes people are like so what do you do like why is work held in such a high regard and what what does it even mean if someone says I'm unemployed or I had a job that I quit recently or yeah I do this but I don't like it like what does that kind of present to someone else and and why is it so kind of important someone has a job states it confidently and is happy in what they're doing yeah it must be a measure of our success and our achievement in life you know because whatever profession you want to put out there you want people to think like oh wow that's pretty cool or if you don't like it you also want that other person to be on your side as well I guess what I think you know when I spoke about teaching it would always be so you know positive but also you know talk about the downsides as well but I'd always be keen to talk about it so when I met people that weren't keen to talk about what they do it, it took me by surprise and currently where I'm working which is like an office space I've come to realize that people work in order to just as a means to an end right so they don't put a lot of or they don't see that their work has to be meaningful to enjoy it you know so they don't hate their work but they're neither in love with what they do and I never realized that I always thought that you especially being a teacher that you do it as a as a passionate project or you know it's always meaningful and that's what we were taught at uni that you know if you were a teacher you were doing some amazing work out there you were being really important and that's you know true but we put so much reliance on that particular sentence is that if you're a teacher then you are passionate you are doing meaningful work and so suddenly you're thinking oh I have to constantly be doing meaningful work but that's not the case in other professions there's no there's not that kind of pressure where yes you've got to be doing meaningful work and productive work but you yourself don't have to be feeling that you can be doing something that helps the company or helps the audience that you are interacting with but 
it doesn't have to mean anything to you. You can li- literally hit 5.30 and go home and it's totally out of your mind. Whereas in teaching, it consumed you almost every hour, you know, and your free time too. So I guess with teaching, you kind of do have this finite places that you can really go to, you know, you either become a head teacher or you go into the more administrative side of being a principal and a deputy. Um, So in a way, it's you you limit your possibilities of what you want to do, which is a bit of a shame because I know so many teachers who post up on Facebook thinking, hey, I might not want to be in a classroom anymore or, or be in a school, but I don't know what else I can do. So it's like we subscribe all that work we did at university and all our practical work into one profession. And what I've learned since leaving that profession is that my skill set is so useful for various industries. So I think we limit ourselves when we think that our profession is just one thing and it's not, you know, what it really is, is a set of skills that you can definitely apply to that particular profession. But hey, you could also do it to something completely different that you didn't think you could do. I think those labels that we put on our our titles also limit us as well as identify us. You know, you kept kind of saying about how you left the profession of Mm. teaching. What was that turning point and why did you actually leave? The turning point came just after starting my sort of permanent job at the school I was at. And I was so certain that I was so excited for it. But about, I guess, four weeks into the term, I started to feel very anxious. And I remember driving into work every day, not wanting to go to work. So on the ride, I was just constantly feeling almost like I was going to throw up. Um, my heart was sort of racing as well and so I just remember that feeling and I don't know constantly I constantly try to think what why why was I suddenly feeling that and it's a build-up you know I had worked in about three different schools and I had different roles in each one and they were all fantastic experiences But I think towards like the last little bit, I was working three days at one school and two days at another school with two different roles. So my brain was working extra hard. So even though I had that six week summer sort of break before I started my new school, it's like I never left. It's like I never gave my brain a chance to rest, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, I was constantly switched on. So I think part of that was... I was no longer at the adrenaline that I had when I first started teaching because I guess when you first started any kind of job, you you kind of have this energy, you know, you really want to do well, you want to give it your absolute best, you want to learn as much as possible. And I think I was doing that for about three and a half years and that is all I was doing and I realised at some point my brain was like, nope uh you can't do this anymore i'm gonna make sure your body feels it so that you can start becoming a bit aware of it as well so that's where it first started and i started to feel i remember taking a day off from school and 
I, I, I spoke to one of my friends and I asked, hey, can we go out for a coffee? And I remember just crying because I was just feeling this and I didn't know why I was feeling it. I had everything that I had hoped for, like a permanent job. So why wasn't I, you know, I have, I'm set up for life basically, really. So, you know, why am I feeling this way? So she helped me find someone I could uh, speak to as well. I think that was kind of that turning point where I realized that I needed to listen to my body and I needed to listen to my thoughts because I started to notice as well when I was at school, even though I was feeling the support of the staff members around me, I still felt like something wasn't right. You know, something just, I wasn't feeling it. And that was starting to show in my quality of work. So I would, might have a lesson planned, but it wouldn't be the the best lesson, you know, it'd just be the almost like I got to get through this kind of lesson. And that's when I realized, like, unfortunately, as a teacher, you have a, a I guess, a duty of care. You're teaching students, you know, 30 old students, and you don't want to be letting your guard down. You don't want to be letting your enthusiasm down. You, you, you know, you basically give a performance out there five periods a day. But the minute that you start to realize that you realize that you have to do this not only for yourself or like, you know, take some time to figure it out, but you also need to do it for your students. Because if you're not putting yourself the best self out there, then they're not going to be learning as best as they can. So I kind of had that sort of double whammy where I realized if it wasn't impacting anyone else, maybe I'd be okay to still continue with this job. But since it was, and I knew that wasn't, that wouldn't sit right with me, I knew I had to check whatever I was feeling out properly. Did the other staff around you, the other teachers, did they know you wanted to change your career basically and stop teaching? And were they supportive? So it it happened progressively because initially um, I had, since sort of seeing my friend, I'd set up an appointment to actually see a psychologist and talk more through it. And with that, we were able to, so I went every week in that first term because I was just consistently struggling. And I eventually, I think it was about maybe two weeks, I told my head teacher at the time about how I was feeling. And surprisingly, she was actually feeling the exact same thing. So... And she's head teacher and she's, was a t- um, she's been a teacher for so many years as well. But she was also feeling the burnout um, and she had taken some time um, of leave as well. So she definitely understood where I was coming from. That was really good to have, you know, to, to, for her to empathize with what I was feeling. Um, I think the toughest thing that other staff members, as well as the principal, because eventually I, I had to tell um, my principal about it was that they probably, they didn't understand where it was coming from. You know, I was so enthusiastic at the interview. My references were really positive and I felt like I was ready to go. So they didn't understand where this feeling was coming from or why I was feeling that way. And that was really some, that was some hard discussions because one, I was trying not to cry as well because, yeah. you know, you kind of didn't want to show you're weak and you want to show that this was a rational response and all that stuff. Yeah. So. You can cry and be rational. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's the thing people don't understand. <laughs> Crying does not mean you're irrational. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's right. That's it right. It might make you look that way, but that is, that is bullshit because I'm a massive crier. Like, yeah. 
I will cry confronting someone, even if I'm not in the wrong. I'll cry. I'll cry, you know, watching a TV show or watching an ad. Like, yeah. crying's normal. It's yeah. fine. It's not yeah. irrational. I just yeah. want to put that out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. That takes a long time to learn, too. So those conversations were really difficult. And I couldn't provide the answers because I was still trying to figure it out myself. You know, I was still trying to figure out why am I feeling this way? And yeah. what does that actually mean? Does it mean that I need to leave? Does it mean I need to take time off? Does it mean like you, you start to look at your options? And a lot of the conversations I had with the principal and my head teacher was like, oh, what are the other ways we can support you? So there was, you know, they were doing everything they could to try and help me not feel the way I was feeling but in my mind I was you know the conversations I was having with my psychologist I was I feel like that is the only thing I was seeing was like I have to leave I have to not teach anymore once I had that in my head I just felt like okay you know it it took a lot of courage for me to actually stay on till the end of term one and she you know we talked about you can either leave right now and like in the middle of it or middle of term or you can wait it out. And I think I kept going back and forth. I kept going, going, oh, maybe I, I should just stop right now and just let it go. But then I was thinking, oh, no, I don't want to just suddenly leave or I don't want to be seen as a failure. I don't want to feel like a failure, which is what I felt a lot of. So I kind of convinced myself, hey, take it one day at a time. Let's try and make it till the end of the term. And so once I got there, it kind of felt like I had achieved something at least, like I was able to still put myself out there, still like, you know, students never really noticed anything different. The fact that I was able to achieve that made me feel a lot better as well. And when you sought professional help, was that something that you thought about doing because your friend had suggested it or was it something that you had in the back of your mind that something is seriously wrong with the way I'm feeling or the way my body's reacting to how I'm feeling I need I need help that is bigger than just outside my immediate support group yeah I think um definitely having a conversation with my friend helped me sort of think about what did I really need It was definitely, I knew that something wasn't right. And I knew talking to my boyfriend or talking to my friends, since also they weren't in the teaching profession, it also felt quite difficult. And I didn't actually say it to any of my other professional teaching friends. Um, I really had just kept it with, you know, people that I was very close to and they weren't part of the teaching profession. So I think for me, I definitely wanted to go see someone who had experience with education in the teaching area. So I think for me, I was definitely like, I don't feel okay. I don't feel like myself. I should really just see someone. We've talked about before how this counsellor said to you, don't worry, it will all work out in the end, which I still find hilarious because (laughs) like I could have told you that. (laughs) I think there's something in the fact that it's coming from someone you don't know. And also, I was going to this person every week, at least at the very beginning, then it was every fortnight, and then it was once a month, and then six weeks. So for that entire year, I was really seeing someone. But if I was put in that burden of talking out my feelings with my boyfriend or with my best friend, I would 
that would have been exhausting for them. You know what I mean? Like, and and the thing is, we yeah. with my psychologist, we did have a lot of repetitive conversations, right? Because I always had repetitive feelings. I always felt like a failure. I always felt like I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. So those things start always came back in cycles, and that was totally okay. But having that just one person that I knew, yes, you know, I was paying for them and all this stuff. I at least could I could find solace in the fact that I could talk to someone about everything I was feeling, no matter how repetitive it was. It because I, you know, every time I would go, I would just start crying like constantly. But it was that ability to just be comfortable enough to let go, because mm-hmm. every other time of my life, you're so busy with life, you know, that are you actually thinking about yourself or thinking about what you're feeling and confronting those feelings. You don't do that out of choice, you know, especially if it's always going to end up with you crying, you know. (laughs) So you need someone there that you know has your back and might say the same thing over and over again, but one day it will actually click in because I would end up going in spirals. And, you know, something that she said was that, you know, I was was in a sort of in a depression. I, I had depression in that sort of time period. And I never, no one had really, really said that. You know, it's almost like a taboo word sometimes. The fact that she was able to say it to me admit it helped me know that everything that I was feeling was normal and that if I was sort of spiraling down, that that's what was happening to me. And, you know, one day that it would kind of get better. I just needed to keep focus, keep coming back to... I guess, why am I doing this? You know, why did I leave? You know, why the, the hope of the opportunities that I have now, like, you know, just coming back to those little mantras kind of really helped. What advice would you give to people who are questioning their career and questioning whether they want to stay in it or leave? There's probably a lot of things. Um, I guess it's very much one thing I would mention is to interrogate what you're feeling. So if you're having these thoughts about maybe leaving whatever you're doing, actually interrogate, is it something your body's telling you? Is it the thoughts you're having? And question that, like, so why? Why is it something? Is it, and when do those feelings happen? Is it before you go into the job? Is it during? Is it when you maybe meet a certain person at your work? Trying to identify those little triggers um, that make you have those thoughts or have those feelings, I think that's so important because making a decision like that takes, you know, it's sometimes it, it doesn't come in a second. Sometimes it's a buildup of certain things. So it's very important to be mindful of that kind of buildup that's coming up. So I guess interrogate your thoughts, interrogate your feelings which sometimes is a bit scary to do but it is worthwhile and that could be with a friend or you know with yourself the other things is if you are really thinking of changing a different profession is or update your resume like actually really think about all the skill sets that you have get your um, resume up to date and looking at those skill sets, so focus on the skills, focus on the projects that you might have worked on and what you may have achieved. For me, I remember at the beginning, I was thinking, oh, maybe I need to go back into uni or I need to go back to studying and then sort of doing something in that space. And there was a good few months where I was thinking that. But then 
I didn't really want to put money into studying again. Like, it's you so know, expensive. it's so expensive. And like to start, I think at one point I wanted to become an accountant and I was like, Oh God, I would need to go through that whole process. And it wasn't something like I was really keen on either, but, <laughs> but that's, you know, I was trying to think of like things that I need to do. So we kind of always think that if I do this, then I can do that. So if I study this, then I can be that. But I was going back into that cycle of what I was before I went into uni the first time around, which was I need to study something that will get me a job. I knew that I kind of didn't really want to do that. So it's very much look at your skill set first before you start thinking of, of starting a completely different career and thinking that you need to study. So maybe just look at your skill set, look at the kind of entry level jobs you might have in that profession. I guess also to think about what is it that you do like about your profession? Because with the education sector, that was something I really liked. So could I still do something in this sector that wasn't inside a classroom? So maybe see what other jobs are there in the interests that you are interested in and that you're good in. So it might just be a little bit of a hop to the left, different thing, or it might be a completely different industry, but they might really value your knowledge and your skill set. And so that kind of links with, you know, don't sell yourself short at all. You have way more skills than what you think you do. You have way more knowledge than what you think you do. And someone in a completely different area possibly will find that incredibly valuable. So put yourself out there. I remember applying for the job that I finally did get, knowing that I didn't tick all the boxes. And I was so nervous. I was like, oh God, I don't tick that box, but I tick that box. Be so good that they can't ignore you. Be so good at what you are good at that they're like, you know what? They might not have this, but I know that they're going to be learning that if they get this job. So, you know, that you're that willingness. The other thing is to really ask yourself, can you afford it? Once I left, I was about eight months of that year. I had a very low income. I was doing like little casual jobs, like little tutoring um, kind of jobs which was getting me a little bit of income but it was not enough not as much as I did as a teacher and I knew that I had nothing else lined up as well so I left the profession without a backup job but for me I knew that I needed to take time off as well like I needed time for myself to really recuperate so I, I, I quit knowing that I probably would only have casual jobs. So I was very lucky that I still did have that happening and I was able to do part-time or do a few hours here and there, but my income was severely cut and I had to go into my savings. So it's really, you, you kind of have to ask yourself the hard question, like if things don't go well, do I have enough to still sustain myself and sustain my responsibilities of paying rent or groceries and stuff? So I think you really need to ask yourself that. And I think... The fact that I did meant that that decision was a lot easier for me to, I wouldn't have to worry about money. Towards the end of the year, I was worried a bit more. I was like, oh crap, I still don't have a real job. I still don't know what I'm going to do. But you know, you really need to really think about that. I I think that's something I would say if, if you are thinking about it, that you do have at least some money saved up to allow any sort of things that may come up during that time. If you are going to have a period of unemployment or less hours, the importance of still having a routine. Um, There were so many times where, you know, my casual hours would only start after school hours because I was tutoring. So I would spend 
the morning and the lunchtime basically in my pajamas you know what I ideally thought would be like oh yes I've got time to go to the gym I've got time to run some errands I can clean the house I can you know what I realized is that no I was since I was depressed I was in some weird spiral and I didn't have routine so every time I'd go to a psychologist it would always be focusing on okay what is your routine and, and what are you sort of planning on a what you know change your clothes like and I guess working from home now that's even more important as well so even when you have a job like that routine is really helpful as well to have so if you you do feel like you know if that's going to be you with less hours or with a bit of unemployment try to be kind to yourself and actually have a routine because ultimately you're doing this for you so make sure you're putting in that time for you and it's not always going to work out every day (laughs) um but just have that in the back of your mind because one day it will, it will click. Work or the lack of work can be a source of immense stress. In the midst of a global pandemic, there is an increased appreciation of having a job or keeping a job. But in turn, there is even more pressure to reside at a job you don't like and even more anxiety searching for a new job when a lot of businesses have been forced to let go of employees to save money or have to close altogether. The thought process of choosing a career path can definitely start at a young age. Children are often told they can be anything they want to be without the real knowledge of what sacrifices and obstacles will be in their way to get there. Is this the right thing to say? To encourage people early that they can do whatever they want in life for a job? Comedian Chris Rock doesn't seem to think so when he said, Tell the kids the fucking truth. You can be anything you're good at as long as they're hiring. Ben Horowitz, an American technology entrepreneur, interestingly said during his commencement speech for Columbia University, don't follow your passion. His speech noted passions are hard to prioritize. They change. What you're passionate about at 21 is not necessarily what you're going to be passionate about at 40. He also noted you may not be good at your passion to turn it into a job, like singing, for example. And overall, that passions are self-centered. His recommendation instead is to follow your contribution. That is, find out what you're good at, put that out into the world, contribute to others, and help the world be better.